As I was preparing for this message and, and just thinking about it, uh, isn't it amazing how we make things complicated? You know, simplicity is something that is lost. And I was thinking about simplicity. Um, you know, you always think it's going to be easy to, to teach your kids how to drive a standard. It's easy, right? And I remember my two girls. It's simple. Clutch, shift, gas, and clutch, right? No, not, not so simple. And then there's, uh, if we talk about phones, oh my goodness. Have you seen that video where the, the dad puts a, uh, something under a box and his two teenage sons come and he, he uncovers the box and it's a rotary phone and they can't figure out how to use it whatsoever. And then we shouldn't get started with Alexa and Siri, should we? You know, it's just uh, a lot of things in this life that are complicated. And one of the most interesting ones you know, so if you're in that 719 age, you know, or going to date, you know, dating used to be easy. You like somebody, do you want to have coffee, go to dinner? But no, online dating has rules. And I learned some new terms this week. Catfishing, false identities, ghosting, like disappearing off of the dating scene. And then social stalking, that is something is real. You know, so we make things that used to be simple so complicated. And I want you to think about it personally. If you're married, raise your hand. Marriage was going to solve all your problems, wasn't it? It was simple. Be married, happy forever after, right? And then all of a sudden, man language and woman language entered, and it's all complicated, right? Or your kids, if you're a parent, you think that's easy as well. You're like, take the trash out, right, dad? Hey, take the trash out. It's trash day. And then you're leaving for work and it's sitting right beside the garage, outside the garage, not out at the street. Mom, you remember, hey, go clean your room. And when you walk in there, why are there folded clothes in the dirty clothes basket? And then you're looking around and you pick up the edge of the cover and there's all the toys shoved under the bed, right? Simple, simple things, but they end up being complicated. And we shouldn't start about employers, should we? Because you, you get a manager, a supervisor, and they know how to do your job perfectly, don't they? It reminds me of this one story about Pastor Eric. No, I'm joking. No, he's great. But they do, don't they? They take the simplest thing and make it complicated. And I found a quote by Richard Branson, the owner of uh, Virgin Airlines and a lot more. Dude is worth like $5.1 billion. And he had some great things to say about leadership and simplicity. And he says, complexity is your enemy and any fool can make something complicated. It is hard to keep things simple. Very hard. But more important than what Mr. Branson said, even though he's a billionaire, is what God has to say about simplicity. And particularly today is the simplicity of Christ. And you can open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 11, and I'm going to give you some background before we jump right in the middle, because then you really will think I'm crazy. So Corinth is a, a, a city that's on the, are you ready? Here's my big word today, Peloponnesian, Peloponnesian, peninsula of Greece. And, and what that is, is it's at a, at a very small point, and the point between the, the Adriatic and the Aegean Sea is so small, it's only like three miles so it's a port city, and what, what the ships would do is instead of sailing around the Peloponnesian Peninsula, where the water was a lot rougher, is they would actually transport their ships over land, three miles. 
So you just got to imagine you're, you're just talking, hey, what's your job? Oh, I'm a ship puller. You know, just I haul the ship across the land. And it being a port city, it was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. And there was quite a lot that was happening there. In fact, 1 Corinthians ends up addressing a lot of the corruption that had happened to the church. And one particularly was sexual morality. Corinth was known for having over a thousand prostitutes in the city alone. All right. It was, it was a major thoroughfare, uh, multicultural, uh, multi-ethnic, and just a large populace. And so Paul had written 1 Corinthians to address those things, but also other corruptions that had entered in. And if you've read 1 Corinthians, you'll remember the corruption of communion. All right. People were showing up drunk to their communion. Uh, leadership was another one that was corrupted. And Paul addresses all of these things, but it's a bit different in 2 Corinthians because things that happened in Corinth that had uh, not just at the church, but outside of that, but addressing that fellowship, now he has to defend his apostleship. Because even though Paul had helped establish the church, all right, those get rich quick pastors were right behind him. And they were coming in and they were starting to say, Paul, his, his teaching is weak. He's, it's not even inspired. And then they were going on to talk about him and, and saying, well, we're the ones that are really causing the church to grow, not Paul. And if you read chapter 10, you'll see those two things there. And so that's where we hit when we get to chapter 11 and of what Paul is going to be addressing. But before we read that, let's pray. Uh, Father, we just thank you for today. Just to ask that the truth of your word would come out and uh, that you, Holy Spirit, would minister that to the hearts and minds of all that are here. We ask that there be no impediments. We ask your continued blessing on the team that's in Peru for their safety. Uh, and that it would just be a time of edifying the body of Christ as a whole. Lord, be with this day. May we remember who you are, what you've done for us. And not take it for granted. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm used to teaching like between an hour and 20 minutes and three hours if you've come to those theology for today's. So I got limited to like four verses today. So that's what we're going to concentrate on the first four verses. If you look in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul writes, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Can you imagine Paul coming, writing this, and they're reading it? So Paul wrote this, you know, not a, not a folded letter, but a scroll, and it got delivered to him, you know, and, it, and who knows if it was Titus or someone else that delivered it, and they're reading, this is Paul's letter to us. Now, you know, the Corinthian church wasn't this big, so we'll just take like the first five rows, you know, like 30 people, and this is what you're hearing, and this is what has happened and so as we start to go through this, let's really look at what Paul is saying. And the first thing is that he is saying, oh, that you would bear with me. Will you please put up with me? And I could sort of like say the same thing this morning. Please put up with me for a little while longer. 
And you can uh, send all your complaints to BR549. That's for everybody that's over 40. So it's explain it to the other people. Bear with me in this, in a little folly. And the folly that he's talking about is boasting. And he actually starts with this concept in chapter 1, verse 12. Because this, you know, remember the get rich quick pastors that were coming into Corinth? They're all boasting about themselves and boasting about what they're doing. And Paul is calling it foolishness. But now he's entering into a defensive mode to, to show the truth. And he's saying, okay, bear with me in this little folly. And you already have. Indeed, you do bear with me. But look at what he says, for I'm jealous for you with godly jealousy. What is he, what is he saying? Well, well, think about what we've talked about. Paul came to this city, Corinth, after Athens, like he was like Cold Stone pastor. There's no church there. You know, and he's proclaiming the gospel in the, in the public area and people are believing and then they're beginning to gather. And so he, as, as an apostle, as a church planter, he's the one that helped establish their faith in Christ, establish their fellowship together in worshiping God. And somebody else is coming in to try to rip them off. Not only financially, possibly, but with the truth and spiritually. So Paul's saying, I am jealous but I'm not jealous because it's covetousness or, or because I wish I had what they had. It's a godly jealousy. Paul's not getting anything from this. He's jealous with a godly jealousy because the truths that we're going to look today are leading them to hell. Are ripping them off from the simplicity that is Christ. So I found this super smart dude, smarter than me, because he really helped write a commentary and it's Murray Harris, and it's the Expositor's Bible Commentary. So just listen to what he talks about in this verse. Human jealousy is a vice, but to share divine jealousy is a virtue. It is the motive and object of the jealousy that is all important. There is a place for a spiritual father's passionate concern for the exclusive and pure devotion to Christ of his spiritual children, and also a place for anger at potential violators of that purity. And just to make it more immediate, I want to talk to you about your pastors here because we love you. And some of you know that on more of a personal basis, whether it's through discipleship or classes or counseling, and it's the same thing, is that we are constantly jealous for you, not because people are coming in here, but guess what? Paul didn't have the internet to contend with, did he? So you have everything that's out there but proclaiming the truth of God's word is, which is, what, is what is paramount. And, and for you guys to understand that your pastors are jealous for you with a godly jealousy, that you hold fast to the truth, the foundation of the things that have been taught. Acts 2.42, like Pastor Eric covered. What he covered yes, or last week about Colossians, that you might be thoroughly complete in Christ. Those things that our heart is for you. Even last night, right before I had to come out and teach, I'm in the back praying before I come out to teach. Bing, text comes over our phone and the reality of what happens in our body hit me hard. 
It's like, how can I even start to teach? So we prayed before we started because someone in our fellowship wanted to take their life. And you know that's a lie. That's a lie that they're listening to. So your pastors love you greatly. And we're going to see a couple reasons of why Paul is so jealous. The first one in verse 2. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul is the one that he's saying, I shared the gospel with you. I betrothed you. And, and we, don't, you know, we don't have these. Uh, you know, being engaged is, is something, but the word betrothal is a lot deeper than what we consider that here. Betrothal, even in the, the uh, Greek and Roman culture, could happen when you're four years old. Okay, two families like we want to be united. Hey, our kids are going to get married when they're old enough. And that's when the betrothal starts. All right. But what it, what it actually meant is two things. Is, is one is that they're kept for one particular person. If you're betrothed, you're being kept for one particular person. The second thing is, is that you're being kept pure for that one particular person. Did you see what he wrote in the second part of that verse? That to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And it's that unadulterated aspect of that relationship. This is not something that is not common in Scripture. If you go to Hebrews chapter 2, you're going to see where God says, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. You shall know the Lord. Speaking to Israel, he's like, I am going to betroth you to me. And that carries over into the New Testament with Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27, which is a typical marriage verse for husbands, right? And all the wives are going to say, amen. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So that's where, that's typically where the wives say amen. But listen to what it talks about what Christ did that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So us, as a church, those that believe in Jesus Christ, we are called the bride of Christ. We are the betrothed bride of Christ to be in his presence, in finality, in revelation, in the marriage supper of the Lamb. So this concept of betrothal, he says, for I have betrothed you to one husband, is where that jealousy that Paul is talking about. And you know what? God is jealous for you too. Because if we give the whole panorama from when it starts in in Genesis chapter 3 until the end, it says God created and God said, hey, take care of the garden. And guess what? The enemy came in and he asks some questions, doesn't he? And that's what Paul is going to cover in the second reason in verse 3. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So you remember betrothal is about one specific person and remaining pure to that one person. And it was Paul's responsibility for those two things on this earth. But he, now he's like, the other reason I'm jealous is because I fear you've already been corrupted 
and you are seeking after someone else. And he gives this illustration, which goes back to Genesis chapter 3. And just to, to summarize that quickly, you know, Eve is in the garden, the serpent comes to her, and they have this conversation, right? But I want to focus on three things. And this is what the enemy says, and this is where he starts. Has God said? That's the first thing. Has God said? And then, then she answers, and then he says what? He makes a statement. He doesn't ask a question. He says, you're not going to die. And that's where the lie gets inserted, right in there, right? You're not going to die. And then he has to make the lie bigger. You're going to be like God. That's what that conversation ends with. And that's what Paul is referencing. So is it any different today? Because you know what? There is an assault on this. All right? There's a doctor in, in England that just got tried and got ruled against because he refused to use certain pronouns that were biologically incorrect. And he said this, Genesis 1, 27, 28, is what? Outside of here, everybody is going to try to say, God has not said and they'll continue with the lie. It's not real. There's no life after death. It's just today. And then if we look at the third question of what, or the third statement that the serpent made, you'll be like God. Our culture says you need to take care of yourself. You need to be number one. Everything needs to be about you. That's great, Dan. We're in church, though. It's not us, right? Well, I want you to think about it. Is, is there something else that you've devoted yourself to? Because if it is, we're not devoted to Christ anymore, are we? We can start to believe, like, oh, I'm good. I believe in Jesus. I'm going to heaven. But then our life is just after ourself. And so of asking some, some serious questions you know, are we devoted to Jesus Christ? Or are there others that we're devoted to spiritually? Is our faith pure and unadulterated from church and culture? Somebody last night told me a testimony, and they were at a church, and they finally left, and they came here because they were going to both places. And she describes a, a scene where she was volunteering at their information center, and she was doing uh, Bible study fellowship homework, and she had her Bible up. And the lady minister comes in the building and walks by and looks and says, oh, the Bible. Well, that really doesn't matter anyway, does it? And goes into her office, and that's what changed her and coming to hear what the truth of this is, that God has said but have we been corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ? And we're going to cover three particular errors that Paul's going to address. But it can be the simplicity of Christ is something that gets corrupted all the time to the point that it pushes people away. Just quickly, what that simplicity is, is the purity of his sacrifice in life, of what he did on this earth. 
the simpleness of salvation. The truth is simple and it resides in Jesus. And we'll cover that. So let's look at these three ways in verse 4. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted. So three things. Another Jesus. Well, there's not another Jesus. You know, it's... But what it's saying is that one of many. And you know, what's prevalent through our culture is, oh, there's many ways to God. That Jesus is unnecessary. But we should not be shocked that that is what is being said. Because if we look back through our scripture and we know what it says in Matthew chapter 24, even Jesus says this. Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Has anybody been keeping up with climate change the last couple weeks? No? The only climate change I know of is Thursday when it's going to be in the 30s. But (laughs) this is a big deal. You know, there's this teenager from Sweden, right? I can't even pronounce her last name. But she's all over the media about climate change, isn't she? Do you know what the Church of Sweden said? She's the Messiah. Not joking. I was going to read to you everybody that thought they were a Messiah that currently lives, but decided not to. Because we don't have enough time. But this idea of another Jesus is carried throughout the scripture. Matthew 24, verse 23 through 62. If anybody says, look, here's Christ, don't believe him. They're deceiving you. 1 John 2, verse 22 and 23. Who is a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Jude 4. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand they, those, these people were in the church since they crept in? Second Peter 2.1 But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. So we're talking 40, 30 to 40 years after Jesus is dead, is they're already battling the false teaching that Jesus is not who he said he is already. It is no different from today. Because people, if they admit Jesus' existence, they'll say, oh, he was a good teacher. And there's different religions that say, oh, he was a good teacher. It's good morality, right? Oh, he's a prophet. He was a prophet. And then there are others who think he's Michael the archangel. Jesus is not Michael the archangel. Then others, oh, he was created. And he's the brother of Lucifer. All those falsities are here and they're alive and real. And you know what? Some of those beliefs, they're trying to stamp the word Christian on. And it's not what the word of God says. It's not. Do you know who Jesus is? 
Or is it just something that you can say? Crosswalk.com had a great article. So I was going to give you like the theological thing, you know, like Nestorianism, docetism and all that. And I'm like, no, because the only thing they'll remember is the word Nestorianism when they leave here. They won't even know uh, what it means, except that's a weird word. It's bad enough I had to say Peloponnesian Peninsula. But look at these 10 false versions of Jesus. And you need to ask yourself, do I believe that? First one, mean Jesus. Jesus wears an old white powdered wig with a gavel. Mean Jesus. Political Jesus. All right? Everybody knows Jesus is a Republican, right? He'd probably be an independent if you didn't know better. Genie in a bottle, Jesus. Jesus, help me. Get that boat. I'll teach you, Jesus. Do something wrong? I'm going to teach you. I'm going to do this. I couldn't care less, Jesus. I'm the son of God. Do whatever you want. I already died for your sins. It doesn't matter. Church Jesus. Just in case you did not realize, Jesus is outside of this building as well. But some people think he's only in the building. If Elvis left the building, I'm pretty sure Jesus does too. Rule play, Jesus. If you play by the rules, then I'll be your savior. Oh, we're getting closer. Confused Jesus. He didn't know if he was human or God. He wasn't confused. He was both. If, then, Jesus. Careful, because you can be saying, oh, this isn't me. If you do this, then I'll do this. If you do this, then I'll bless you. If, then. That's not Jesus. Because what you believe about Jesus is critical, isn't it? Very critical. You know what? Your eternity is staked on that. Not just thinking about lunch or the football game. Your eternity is staked about what you believe about Jesus right now. Everybody remember that movie, uh, Chronicles of Narnia, right? Well, old boy that actually wrote that was C.S. Lewis. And this is, this is way, way back in the in, uh, 30s and 40s. Okay, He was an atheist and ends up coming to believing in Jesus as the Son of God in Christ. And so when he, he's doing it, he does apology stuff on the radio during World War II and talks and all those things. And he, he says it boils down to three things. You either think that Jesus is lying about everything that he said. And he did. That he isn't who he is. That he isn't who he said he is. Right? Or you just think, oh boy, was crazy. All right, but I tell you one thing: the five thousand people that got fed, they didn't think he was crazy. They wanted to make him king. They think he's crazy, or you actually think he is who he says he is, and make him your lord. So that's the question that we hit right here: Do you believe Jesus is who he says he is? You know, I could have added to that list. Because some of us want fluffy Jesus, don't we? You know, your favorite stuffed animal. I'm sorry, I'm the only one that has one. He's just nice and fluffy and all this. You know? 
which is, that's not a real relationship. So do you have another Jesus? Or, or is it this Jesus? Look at the next thing that he talks about. If you receive a different spirit which you have not received. Okay, we've just got done talking about a different Jesus. And now we're talking about, which is, which is one of many. Now we're talking about a different spirit. Now, if you go through the books of book of Acts, it's talking about the Holy Spirit. If you go to John 14, if you go to John 16, it talks about the Holy Spirit be given to those who are believers. Isn't it a scary thing that these were believers who had the Holy Spirit and Paul is rebuking them to say, do you have another spirit? Has another spirit? Now, I don't know about you. There's only two options for me. If it ain't the Holy Spirit, then it is demons false spirits I was watching mythical beasts on the science channel or whatever you know and everybody remembers cyclops and Loch Ness monster right and the minotaur blah 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 and then I, I was doing something came back in demons were on there I said nope I'm teaching tonight I'm not watching that the reality of their existence is real Jesus addressed this with his disciples because there's spiritual influence out there that you may not be may not realize. So the short short story is they're going through Samaria. There's a city that rejects them. James and John is like, "Yo, Jesus, you want us to fry it or what? We'll call down a fire from heaven." You know what Jesus tells them? He says, "You do not know what spirit you are of." Okay, by implication, it's not the Holy Spirit that he's talking about. Galatians 3.3. 3. I guess the church in Galatia had a problem with this too. Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh, denying the spirit to work for their salvation? 1 John 4, 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Do you know how it's a different spirit? If it's not what God said the Holy Spirit would do. If you see me rolling on the floor drunk in the spirit, that's not the Holy Spirit. If you see me on all fours barking like a dog and howling, that is not the Holy Spirit. Well, what is? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is God the Spirit. He has roles and responsibilities. He testifies of Jesus Christ. He's sent by the Father. For believers, he empowers you. He enlightens you with the truth and he equips you with gifts to serve everybody around you. If you don't believe, you think I'm smoking crack, he's still talking to you right now. John 16, he's convicting you. He's convicting you of sin because you know there is no way you can get to God on your own because you know what you do when no one's watching. You know what you think. 
He convicts you of righteousness because Jesus is not here. You do not have that perfect example, but the law of God is stamped on your heart and you do know what righteousness is, what right is. And last, he convicts of judgment that you will give an account for what you believe about Jesus. So the scripture says that everybody in this room right now is having interaction with the Holy Spirit. And some of us can be smiling and say, Lord, thank you. Lord, forgive me, may I listen to your spirit more often. Others might be, oh no, that's not conviction, that's, that's just and blowing it off. I want to caution you because it goes away. It goes away. So we've seen that another Jesus, so one among many Jesuses, a different spirit that's not the Holy Spirit. And look at the last one, a different gospel which you have not accepted. Good news. Gospel means good news, good tidings, bringing you good news. And what I want you to understand is that it is good news. We can remember John 3.16, can't we? For God so loved the world, he gave his son. But everybody forgets 17. Because that's where the good news is. And that's where it finishes. He didn't send Jesus here to condemn you. Do you understand that? He came here to save you. To save you from the enemy, because Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, you serve the prince of the power of the air, the enemy, to save you unto himself in a restored relationship. That's the good news. The good news is this is not your best life now. The good news is, is your best life is to come when you're with Jesus, when you're with the Father, when you're in heaven. When Revelation says no more tears, no more crying, that is your best life. A different gospel. Galatians 1, 6 through 9. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. And let me just be really clear. If you hear another gospel, it's not the gospel. It's not. It is not good news if you have to earn your way to heaven. Because if you're like me, I am going to fail. I'm not going to meet that standard. It is not a gospel if they say Jesus will save you after you've done everything that you can. It's not a gospel. Gospel of works. Gospel of continued works. Maybe you'll make it to heaven if you're good enough, even though you believe. Gospel of sin. Romans 6, 1. Hey, the more you sin, the more grace you get. Paul asks that question. He says, what? Shall we sin so that grace can abound? 
And Dan's translation says, are you smoking crack? And what the Bible says, he says, certainly not. You don't continue to sin so that we get salvation, that we get grace. So what is the gospel? He proclaimed it in 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And in case it's not clear, I'm going to read John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. One reason people reject Jesus Christ and they reject God is because they think that all he's going to do is judge them in this life. It says Jesus came so that you're not judged. He came so that you don't suffer the second death separation from God. He came so that you can have life and have everlasting life. These three things were invading this church. Another Jesus, maybe his name was Frank, I don't know. Another spirit that's not the Holy Spirit. And good news that really wasn't good news. And then how does Paul close this out? Yet you may put up with it. And that small phrase is very important things. The first thing is, is that they were weak biblically. If they knew what God's word said, they would know that this is antichrist. This is a falsity. This is not true. What they're saying about Jesus is not what God's word said. Can you do that? You know what? People come knock on your door, don't they? Do you know they do not have the good news? Unless they're talking about John three sixteen and 17. Jesus is the son of God. He is God. If they're coming and knocking on your door and say, come to our Bible study. Did you know that Jesus was actually an angel? That's another Jesus that's not in here. That's not in scripture. And there's not good news of eternity there. They're weak theologically of knowing who Jesus is. And they were all inclusive. Oh, let's just hold hands and sing kumbaya. Everybody's going to heaven, right? Well, when you say that, you might as well throw this away. Because that's not what God has said. And what you are saying is that God did say, everybody's going to heaven. So as we close, I want you to think of these things. Paul is challenging a church, probably in the 50s, 20 years after Jesus is gone with these three things. So of asking yourself, do I believe in Jesus? that he's God, that he's the son of God, that he became in the flesh, in Jesus. He did not become the son of God when he was baptized. He did not become the son of God on the cross. 
And these are lies that are out there. The Holy Spirit, and I, even, I forgot part of my message. People say, oh, he's divine science. That's the Spirit. Oh, he's a lesser God. Oh, he's just the emotion and intellect of God. Oh, for you sci-fi people, he's the force. And then, if you watch YouTube videos, you will see everything under the sun attributed to the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that they're blaspheming the Holy Spirit? And some of you will remember what Jesus said about that. And then the gospel, the good news. Denying the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done. Remember I said the message was about simplicity, but I'd rather entitle it jealous simplicity. Because there's one thing that I want you guys to leave here is that I'm jealous for you guys to remain betrothed to Christ. And you may not think it's a big deal, but when you have the amount of input in this world to tempt you to deny him and who he is, there's been people that have been here and they've left after decades. And that you remain pure and unadulterated, that you're not corrupted, that you remember the simplicity of Christ. God loved me. He sent his son. He died for my sins. I believe it from my nose to my toes. I repent of how I have been living my life. I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm enlightened with the truth. He's equipped me with gifts to serve others. The simplicity of the gospel. Will you stand and bow your heads, please, and We need the gospel every day, and I hope that this has been a reminder to you about what Jesus has done for you, that he loves you, died for your sins, and rose again, and, and I, I just say thank you, Lord, and that we'd remember that we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, because you're not going to boast. And if you haven't come to that knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, is we'll have people up on the sides to pray with you. And it's not some form of words or magic incantation or, or ritual or anything like that. But the simplicity of it is, is I believe Jesus is who he said he is. That he's God in flesh, died for my sins, rose again. He has paid it all. No longer am I going to be loyal and serving Satan by not making a choice, but I choose Jesus. I repent, ask for forgiveness, and live my life empowered by the Spirit each and every day. Believers, if you need prayer, because you know what? It's easy to put Jesus on the bottom shelf, isn't it? And there's so many more things that complicate our lives instead of the reality of who he is and how much he's loved us. We'll be available for prayer as well. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for the power of your word and just ask that it would continue to minister to the hearts and minds of those that are here and that none would leave that don't 
come to understand who Jesus is and what he has done. Because it, it does impact their eternity and we desire, just as you don't, that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Whether family members or friends, Holy Spirit, may they hear your call to salvation. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.